This morning as we approach the Word of God, I know several of you have been praying that I'd ask you to pray as we were in preparation for a series that we are beginning today called Welcome to Eternity. The series is called Beyond. The message today is Welcome to Eternity because I wanted to spend some time with you and begin to look at what takes place on the other side. We live this life and uh, recognize, according to Scripture, that the greatest is yet to come. And before I begin this morning, I want to recognize that there have been a number of authors that over the past several weeks and months that I've been reading and studying, and I want to make sure that I give proper acknowledgement to to the work that they have done and and the study that I have done. And Erwin Lutzer, who was the lead pastor of Moody Bible Church in Chicago until last year, has done a lot of writing on eternity, and some of his work was, was extremely helpful. Dr. George Wood and Dr. John Piper, Dr. Douglas Jacoby and Ravi Zacharias, each of these brilliant men have done a lot of study that has been extremely helpful in the preparations. And there will be others over these next several weeks that I will quote uh, that have played a major role. But I just want you to know that there is some great references out there available as you want to continue to pursue and, and study in this. I've been in prayer Asking God to allow me to be true to his word as we approach the subject of what is beyond. There are some things that the scripture is crystal clear about and there are some things that the scripture leads us to the preponderance of the evidence to believe certain things and I want to be certain as I approach this to have textual integrity and biblical scholarship that will allow me to stand before God someday and give an account for everything that I say. I also want you to know that it is not my intention that I scare you into receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, but I do want you to understand that as we begin to approach this subject, and specifically in a few weeks as we begin to talk about the difficult doctrine of hell, that there are some scriptural references to the wrath of God that will be approached soberly and will make you stop and think. Last February, I stood at the graveside of my 98-year-old grandfather, and as we committed his body to the ground, my uncle, Steve, walked over to me and put his arm around me, and he says, it's like he's not even here, and I thought, exactly, exactly. That's exactly the way it is, because when we say goodbye to a body, they are not there. That which made them alive has moved on, and we say goodbye to an earthly body, but that which is our life has gone on and is now in either the presence of the Lord or following into the presence of the place where the decisions that we have made have led them. And as a pastor, for the past 36 years, I have stood at the gravesides of many, and in those bitingly painful moments, I have often stated to grieving families that this is when our faith either means everything or it means nothing. Either we are locked into the temporary dimension or we can see the the temporary dimension that we can see or we are locked into something that we recognize the Scripture describes as liberating in His presence. And so we walk in eternal realities or we walk in the temporary. And Scripture goes to great lengths to describe the difference between what is temporary and what is eternal and how that 
difference affects us and what we focus on. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask that you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. It will become a foundational verse for us over this series that we will probably refer to many times. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Father, as we approach your word over these next few moments, we recognize that in order for our heart to be nourished in your word, in order for our spirits to learn of you, it requires the help of your Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. And so I ask this morning that you would release the anointing of your Holy Spirit to not only rest upon me as your servant, but upon the hearts of each of these who are listeners today, so that we can be led in truth for your name's sake. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Faith always focuses on the eternal unseen and not on the temporary seen. This in turn makes our hope unshakable and it focuses on, it keeps us from focusing on the ever-changing temporary things around us that have a, tempor- uh, that have a, 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 a possibility of enslaving us to those things that are constantly changing. Hope that is built on unseen The hope that is built on the things that Christ says are solid. The the hope that is built on the word stabilizes us. And it begins to define us with a sustaining hope that brings perspective and comfort and security and even joy as we focus not on the things that we see but on the things that are unseen. One minute after you slip behind the curtain... You will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Jesus Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known it. Either way, your future will be irrevocably fixed and eternally unchangeable. Those who find themselves in heaven will be surrounded by friends whom they have known on earth Friendships that may have been rudely interrupted by death will continue where they left off. Every description of heaven that they have ever heard will pale in light of the realities that you will be experiencing. It will be better than you could ever have dreamed or ever imagined. And all of this will be forever. Others will be shrouded in darkness a region of deprivation and unending regret with their memories and their feelings fully intact. Images of their life on earth will return and they will ponder the opportunities they squandered. They will intuitively know that their future is both hopeless and unending and for them, eternity will be far worse than they could ever have possibly imagined. A number of months ago, I was doing some studying and I came across an illustration by Francis Chan that I want to share with you today. I'm going to ask if you would hold this for me. 
I thought about stretching this thing around the sanctuary several times, but I thought, you know what, somebody would get hurt. <clears throat> I want you to picture today that this red part of this rope is the life that we live. And that what remains at the end of the red is the beginning of an eternity that will be just as real as anything that we live in this red. Now here's the issue to deal with today. We spend so much time thinking about how we can make this small part of our existence as good as it can be that we often forget that there will be based on the decisions that we make in this very short period of time that the results of these decisions will last forever this rope could continue around the world a billion times and it would still only just begin to represent eternity now, I thought this morning, originally, I was just going to tie a thread around this, but you would never have been able to see the thread, but it gives an indication of just how short our life is in light of the eternity that God has created for each of us. And so your life may be a little bit longer than this, or it might be a fraction of the length of this. We don't know the length of this life. What we do know is that the way that we live in this period of time determines what will happen for the rest of eternity. As a result of that, the Scripture indicates to us that we must focus on the things that we don't see that are the realities far more than the small piece of time that becomes a vapor, a breath in light of eternity. And interesting enough, we take about two-thirds or maybe three-quarters of this, this life hoping that we can make the rest of this really good so we, we save for retirement and we work so hard so that we can have early retirement so that the final little stages of this little piece of red might be really, really good. When in fact the scripture indicates to us that in this short period of time we must live with this in mind and you can let that go as I pull that. That there's an eternity at the end of the red line. I have so many times stood in cemeteries and looked at those that were around the headstones and we discovered that there is a date of birth and we discovered that there is a date of death and that between that there is a dash. The smallest part as we think about the beginning of life and the ending of life and yet it's in the dash that God says if you will let me intervene, if you will let me interject, if you will follow me and focus on me that I can begin to do some things in you that will help you know in advance what you can expect on the other side. Human nature as it is is constantly grasping for clues and some hint that we might glean from whatever source we have available. And if you have your bulletins this morning, I've given an outline there that you may want to follow. And, and as we get to that last point this morning, I'm going to invite you to jot down some notes too as we get to that. But the first point is that there are false ways to discover what is beyond. Some of the false ways today that we see that people are trying to find out what is beyond are things such as channeling. 
where people will go to a witch or a warlock or a medium or a channeler and they try to get in touch with the dead. And I want you to know that this is forbidden in the Bible for very good reason. What actually happens is there are demonic spirits who impersonate the dead. Familiar spirits who are familiar with the person that you may be trying to get in touch with. And these spirits have incredible knowledge, astonishing knowledge of the dead person's life since they have carefully observed those individuals when they are living. We know that there are angels that God assigns to each of us. And so we have to understand that in the spiritual realm, if we are living for Christ and Christ surrounds us and and surrounds us with protecting angels, that those that do not know him will obviously have those of demonic spirits that would be familiar with him. And through the power of deception, demonic spirits can mimic a deceased person's voice. They can mimic a deceased person's personality. They can even mimic their appearance and appear as ghosts. And there seems to be such a desire today of people who want to know what lies on the other side that even TV reality shows are now dealing in the spirit world of trying to find out what's really going on. So if a channeler or a medium is able to get in touch with a familiar spirit, then you may actually get information that might seem quite accurate because the spirit is familiar with where they lived. It's familiar with the family that they were a part of. Familiar with what they did and what they said. And it can seem quite accurate, but it is in fact not the person. Leviticus chapter 19 Verse 31 tells us, do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord, your God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, in verses 10 and 11, it says, let no one be found among you. And then moving on further in the chapter, it says, who is a medium or a spiritist, or consults the dead. In other words, Scripture makes it very clear. You can be quite certain that no one on earth has ever talked to your dead uncle, or your aunt, or your grandfather, or your grandmother, or anyone else. It is a trick of deception by Satan. Then there are those that believe in reincarnation. It's another form of occultism that purports to give information about life after death. This doctrine teaches us that we are continually being recycled. Death is nothing more than a transition from one body to another. When I was in India a number of years ago, it used to frustrate me to see bodies being picked up on the streets every day who had died of starvation when there were literally chickens and cattle and goats running everywhere that no one would touch because they were afraid that they were the body containing an ancestor, hoping that perhaps they would be reincarnated as something else. Nobody killing the fleas that infested some of those bodies. 
Thus, Satan uses reincarnation as a way to eliminate the fear of death by proclaiming that death does not exist, but that you merely come back as something else and that by your own works you can continually try to climb up a ladder of success. Some people even claim through their contacts in the spiritual world that they had discovered what they lived in a previous life. There are those that have written books about this. One celebrity that I was reading about claimed that uh, she had lived in Peru as an Incan Indian in a previous life. And when questioned, she said, I only deal with spirits who are clothed in light to give me the information that I need. And thus she determined that because they came in clothed in light that they must be from God. But let me share with you what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants, and you can put in parenthesis, demonic spirits masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. In other words, it is not beyond the ability or desire of Satan to masquerade as an angel of God for the purpose of leading people astray as it relates to what the truth might be of eternity. This leads me to a third wrong way to find out what happens after we die. And that is near-death experiences. Raymond Moody interviewed people who claimed to have died and returned to their bodies to give us information about the life beyond when he wrote the book Life After Life. As I looked at this, I discovered that many of their stories had similar elements. Often, a patient who was involved in an operation or was involved in final stages of, of life Uh, ending type of disease that would see uh, a separation and they would be hovering above their body and they would see things medically taking place and they could recall conversations that were happening as they begin to hover above their body and some of them described things of, of seeing bright lights or the feeling of being extremely calm and comfortable in that setting. Betty Eadie had a near-death experience that she recounted in her book, Embraced by the Light. And in this near-death experience, she claims to have met Jesus Christ on the other side. In fact, she even dedicates her book to him. But here is what she described. She described Jesus as a benevolent being of light that she says, when he embraced me, I could not see where the light from within me began and ended the light within him. It seemed as if we were one being together. She said that the Jesus that she met told her that there was no judgment, that there was no religious examination of a person's life that there was nothing to fear, and that every religion on earth was simply a road that leads to the same place and that everybody is happy after they die. And she came back from her near-death experience to write this in a book, and as a result of that, there have been thousands of people that have formed a doctrine of life built on something that is unscriptural, 
because near-death experiences are not valid for us to determine what really happens, especially those that do not hold truth as it relates to Scripture. Anything that refutes Scripture is false. What I do believe after reading about so many uh, different near-death experiences is I believe that what it proves to us is that there is a separability of the soul from the body. I believe that it's almost a universal expression that people can see things from a different perspective as they are being separated in death from their body. But near-death experiences do not provide any reliable information as to what lies on the other side. There have also been a number of books and even some scriptural references to near-death experiences that we can be aware of and of those who are Christians that had near-death experiences, many of them relate of stories of light and a peace and a color and an awareness of family that has gone before them. And even the Apostle Paul and Stephen both had near-death experiences that were related to us in Scripture. Stephen, while being stoned, and before he died, is recorded as saying in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, Behold... I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. It is recorded for us of Paul, it was likely at the time that he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. It says, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. He said, God knows. In other words, he says, let me make this very clear. I cannot give you an accurate description of whether I was dead or alive or how this worked. Only God knows, but here is what I want to tell you. He says, I was caught up into paradise, and he describes what I heard was inexpressible things that a man is not permitted to tell. In other words, regardless of how well we may do over this series, there are things that we will never know until... We stand in the presence of the Lord. I have thought a lot about this particular verse and Paul's words about hearing inexpressible things that man is not permitted to tell and let my mind run wild as to what those might be. I can't wait to see them. The great deceiver wants people to think that one's relationship with Jesus Christ has no bearing on the beauty and bliss that awaits everyone. If it is true that angels await those who have been made righteous by Christ, it is understandable also that demonic spirits would wait those who enter eternity without Christ's forgiveness and mercy. And after saying all of that, I want you to understand this. It's not the transition, but the destination that really counts. Next week we will talk scripturally about what is it like to die. And we will focus some attention on that. But I do want you to understand so many times the things that we fear is the transition, not the location. So to discover what really lies just beyond this life, we need to find a more credible map. A more certain authority than people who have only gone to the threshold of the life beyond and then try to give us reports. And we will do much better if we trust someone who is actually dead and not somebody who is just near death. And so today I proclaim to you that Christ is the one who is qualified to tell us 
what we can expect on the other side. You see, he was dead. So dead that his body became cold and was put into a tomb. And three days later, he was raised from the dead with a glorified body. And now we have one whose opinions can be trusted. To John, the risen Christ said this in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So today I proclaim to you that the information that we will be drawing from will come from the one alone who knows what lies on the other side. Because he has been there. He has seen it. And he brings some description to us as to what the Bible tells us is just beyond as we enter in and pass through the curtain. For those of you following on your outline, the second point this morning is I want to discuss with you Sheol and Hades in the Bible. Sheol is an Old Testament Hebrew word that is used 65 times in the Old Testament. It is a very, very difficult word to translate. So difficult that it was translated 31 times in the Old Testament as hell. 31 times in the Old Testament as the grave and three times in the Old Testament as the pit. This inconsistency in translation has caused some to be confused regarding what does Sheol really mean. Those who believe that Sheol uh, represents nothing but the grave are many that they believe that it becomes an ending to existence. It's the grave. You're put in the grave and everything that you would know in your entire existence disappears at that point. That in the graves our body have died and our existence has ended. The problem is that that's not what the Bible says. The Bible indicates to us that Sheol is a place of activity. It's a place of conscious, departed spirits. The other problem with this is that there is another Hebrew word that if it simply meant the grave or an ending of existence, that they would have used the other Hebrew word called the grave. It simply indicates that something has been buried and has ended. And to think that the inspired word of God having had the opportunity to use a word like that, would not have indicates to us that there's something more than just the end of the existence when we reach the grave. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, we see some of the characteristics of Sheol. It says the grave, or Sheol below, is all astir to meet you at your coming. It rouses the spirits of the departed to greet you. All those who were leaders in the world, it makes them rise from their thrones, all those who were kings over nations, and they will all respond. They will say to you, you have become weak as we are. You have become like us. The bottom line is that Sheol is referred to as a shadowy underworld, a place that is not part of this existence a place where there's the gathering of spirits. It's a place of activity. It's a place of communication. It's a place of rational thought. Job speaks in other passages about Sheol being a place of deep anguish 
And while the word Sheol refers to the realm of departed spirits, and that seems unmistakable, there are also verses that make this Sheol even more confusing because it makes it equally clear that there are those that entered this region of Sheol that did not have agonizing experiences at all, but had different experiences. Scripture makes it clear that one can be reunited in Sheol. In Genesis chapter 49, verse 33, it says, Abraham was assured by the Lord that he would go to his fathers in Sheol in peace. 2 Samuel chapter 12, we read an account of David fasting in sackcloth for his son who was ill. And after the child had died, David stopped. He cleaned himself up. He shaved. He put on his cologne and he walks out. And everybody said, why did you change your behavior? And he said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? No, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So there are hints in the Old Testament that Sheol had different regions that different people could expect different things. Perhaps one of the clearest expressions of immortality in the Old Testament comes from the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, when it says this, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awaken, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So we see in the Old Testament, the word Sheol that's given to us seems to have more than one chamber. And depending on the relationship you had with God depends on what chamber of Sheol in the Old Testament that you may have been sent to. And as we look at this, I have to admit to you that there is a lot of questions concerning Sheol in the Old Testament that leads us to have even more and more questions. But if the door to the afterlife is open just a crack in the Old Testament, describing Sheol as a shadowy world where spirits go, if they had a relationship to God, it seems that the righteous experienced one thing and the wicked would experience another, but it's still very ambiguous. But if the Old Testament had little to say about it, the New Testament blows the doors wide open on what we can begin to see. As you move into the New Testament, the word Sheol, now that the New Testament becomes interpreted in Greek rather than Hebrew, the interpreters chose to use the word Hades to describe an Old Testament Sheol. And we've learned that Hades is a word that is just as difficult to interpret as the word Sheol was in the Old Testament. Hades in the New Testament, indicates to us that there may be separate chambers to it as well. But I want you to understand that the New Testament begins to open the curtain into the world beyond to really give us a firm understanding. And with that, I would like you to turn to what I regard as the most important passage on this topic. And that is Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through the end of the chapter. And I would like in this verse and this passage of Scripture to welcome you to eternity. Welcome to eternity. Let me read beginning with verse 19. 
It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Now let me tell you that before I get into this, there are those that say this is just another parable that Jesus talked about, but I want you to understand the difference in this parable from others. One of the reasons that I believe that this was the description of something that the Lord was speaking of, of of great truth, is the fact that in this parable, he used names. In other parables, he said a certain man or a certain woman would not give names, and in this one, he described them. In the interest of context, I also want you to understand that he was speaking to Pharisees who believed that money was the determining factor of things. And so he speaks in terms where he's in the context of talking about it's not riches that's going to save you. And he begins this story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in hell, this is the word Hades that is, that is interpreted here as hell. In hell or in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime... You received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And beside all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if somebody from the dead goes to tell them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Which was a foretaste of the testimony of Jesus Christ. The word that's translated hell is the word Hades. Hades is also translated in the New Testament as bosom of Abraham, paradise, heaven, indicating that previous to the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the underworld had more than one chamber. It would be a mistake for us to think that the man that's tormented in Hades is there because he is rich, just as it would be a mistake for you to think that everybody who is poor and dies poor automatically goes to heaven because that was not the intent of this passage of Scripture. The passage that Jesus Christ describes with his own words describes radically different destinies of those who are believers versus those who are unbelievers. And for the purpose this morning, I want to focus 
on the fate of the rich man. And if you have a place where you can jot down some notes, you may want to jot down a few of these things that the Scripture indicates. The first thing that we notice here is that the man in Hades was fully conscious immediately after death. Fully conscious immediately after death. His memory was intact. In fact, Abraham described to him, Son, remember in your lifetime, indicating that he had the ability to remember things that had taken place on this side of the existence. So when I held up that rope with red tape, you will have a firm understanding of everything that took place in the red line of your life when you enter into the eternal aspect of it. You'll also notice that he was able to speak And that was intact when he was there. He was capable of feeling pain. In fact, he was asking Lazarus to tip his finger in water and just, he was in such agony that one drip of water on his tongue he thought might bring him one second of relief, but there was not to be had any of that. All of his senses were a part of his experience. He could see what he missed out on, and his desires, his thirst, and probably all of his physical desires continued on in a place where they would never, ever be satisfied. The second thing that we see is that the eternal destiny of this man was irrevocably fixed at the moment of his death. Abraham said to him, between us and you, a great chasm is fixed. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, or anyone who wants to cross over from there to us cannot. Dr. M.R. Dahan put it this way, once we have passed through the door of death, we can't pack, pick up our suitcase and move out because we don't like our accommodations. In Hades, there is monotony, there's boredom. There's isolation and there's pain. There are no more life goals to be set, no more pleasures to be sampled, no more hope that anything will ever change for the existence of eternity. It's fixed the moment you die. Thirdly, this man knew himself well enough to know that what he was experiencing was fair and just. You'll notice that he did not say, this isn't fair. Think of all the good things I did. Think of how many times I I gave Lazarus food. He knew in Hades that what he had done had brought him to a place where he knew he deserved what he had. In Hades, his entire life and all of the decisions were present. He says nothing about how unfair his destination is. He doesn't complain about the injustice of it all. His only request was for one drop of water to quench his thirsty pain. Fourthly, suddenly the man in Hades became interested in missions. He asked Abraham to warn his five brothers. He said, would you please... Send somebody to my brothers because he knew the condition of the way that they were living. He says, notice that he did not want his brothers to join him there. So for everybody who has ever told you that I want to go to hell because I don't want to miss out on the party with all of my friends. Notice very closely that what he was experiencing so overwhelmed him that he did not want anybody to join him there. There was no party and there was no companionship. He was more than willing to never see his brothers again if only he knew that they would be on the other side of the gulf where Lazarus and Abraham were meeting. 
And Abraham told him that if they won't believe the prophets now, they won't believe it if somebody rises from the dead to tell them what is on the other side of the red line. But the man desperately wanted his brothers to repent. And fifthly, let us remember that Hades and hell are not the same thing here. Just because the word is translated as hell confuses many different people. The Bible seems clear that nobody is in hell today. Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 tells us that then death and Hades or death and hell are going to be thrown into the lake of fire which will be hell. The lake of fire is the second death. If anybody's name is not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. This is further confirmed for us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, when it says this. Then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials, and then there's this word, and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. In other words, those that are in Hades today have not yet faced the second death that will come later on, and we will discuss that further as we get into this series. But what about Lazarus? Lazarus is in the region of Sheol or Hades, which is called Abraham's bosom. It's called paradise at this particular time. He's gone to a place in the shadowy underworld, yes, but because of his relationship with God at that time, he was ascended to the place where he would instantly enter into a place of bliss. And while the chambers at that time were separated, there seemed to be some way that those who were lost could see what they missed out on and even a sense of being able to communicate in some way. Now, I admit to you today, that the regions of Haiti no longer exist side by side because the reason is when Christ ascended from the dead, he grabbed the keys of death and Hades and took them with him and opened a door for those to instantly be in his presence after that. So Hades today still has not been cast into the lake of fire, but instantly when a believer dies, they are transported into the presence of the Lord in heaven today. Worship team, would you please come? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.8 as he relates to us the preparation for what we will see beyond. He said to be absent from the body is to be present or at home with the Lord. As we begin a study of which we will get into much greater detail as to what the scripture has to say I want you to understand today that your welcome to eternity will take place the second after your last breath on earth and that what you do during this time of decision determines the destiny for what will lie for the rest of it. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me as we prepare ourselves and sing this song.
has two faces to the unbeliever the very thought of death should be terrifying for those who've made their peace with God through Jesus Christ death is a blessing that leads you to a place beyond description and when the curtain parts for you nothing can keep us from answering the summons one minute after we die we will either be elated or we will be terrified and it will be too late to reroute your travel plans. So I'm going to ask that you close your eyes this morning and bow your heads with me. As I said, my intention in this series is not to scare people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, yet the scripture speaks far more of the destruction that awaits and the terrifying things that await the unbeliever after death than it does of heaven. In other words, there's a warning to be heeded. If you are here today and you are not certain that you're in a right relationship with God, if you are not certain that you have made your peace with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I want to offer you that opportunity today. And here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to simply ask that if the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart, inviting you into relationship, that you would simply lift your head and look up and I will catch eyes with you and I will say to you I agree with you ma'am or sir and then I'm going to pray for you and at the end of the service we will have people available to have a conversation with you about how to begin this journey of walking with Christ so beginning on the left side of the sanctuary and my right I am looking is there anyone here this morning who would say today is my day I want to be sure that I am right with the Lord if today is the day that my soul is required, yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Are there others? Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Are there others? You just want to be sure today. Moving now to the right side of my left. Are you sure today 
that you are right with the Lord. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these two lives today that said, I don't want to take another moment without being absolutely certain that my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. And so I pray for these two ladies today, God, that at this very moment that within their soul they would say, Father, forgive me of my sins and write my name in the Lamb's book of life so that I can be certain that I am of those who have been sealed by you because I do not want to experience an eternity without you. Help me to change the focus of my life, that short moment that I've got that was indicated by the red tape today of eternity. Let me make sure my decisions honor you in that so that as I look to eternity, I have the assurance of hope that is within me. So, Father, I pray you would answer their prayer in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. I'm going to ask that our deacons and our prayer team would make themselves available this morning by coming to the front. And as I conclude in prayer this morning, if you have needs that you would like somebody to pray with you about, or if you've made a decision this morning that you would have like somebody to begin to talk to you about, what can I do next to begin to develop this relationship, then I'm going to encourage you, don't rush out before you have the chance to speak to somebody. Today we open the suitcase on something that there is so much that's involved with and I look forward over these next several weeks to really digging into what the Word of God says because I want you to know there is so much hope for the believer there's so much joy that waits for us that puts everything that we go through in this life into a perspective that makes it easier to live with joy to live with a smile on our face because we recognize everything we go through it's just a shadow of the joys that are wait, awaiting us as we follow him. Father, I pray now as we conclude this service this morning that the nuggets of truth from your word today would be something that we would plant deep with inside of us. And that throughout this week it might aid us in the study and the pursuit of truth through the scriptures that it would aid us in the fervency by which we follow you, that we would quit living so close to the line of the world and start living more and more close to the heart of God. Father, I ask your blessing and your touch upon your people today. Provide for them in every way that they need, O oh Lord, and may you do this for your glory's sake and not for ours as we honor you in everything. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week in the Lord. And if you'd like somebody to pray with you, please know that there are those available. God bless you.